Hi, this is John O'Danting, lead pastor of Evolve Church, and this is the Evolve Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We trust that this week's message is encouraging and full of hope for wherever you are at. And we're on a series of talks right now called It's a Crazy, Messy, Wonderful Life. And I want to recap the last two weeks really quickly. Week one, two Sundays ago, we basically just established that the purpose for Christmas was that God wanted to restore relationship with his sons and daughters. And I told the story of, of God's creation and his crowned creation, his, his kids from the beginning of time up until Jesus and, and all the things that were done and all the things that needed to be done to, for people to try and set things right with God. But God had this plan that he put into effect when the time was right and he sent Jesus as a master plan to restore once and for all the relationship between God as father with sons and daughters. And last week, um, based on the premise of God wants a relationship with kids, with us, but more than that, God wants to restore and reconcile relationships between his sons and daughters, not just between us and God, but between us and each other. Last week, we talked about forgiveness and I define forgiveness as the intentional and voluntary process by which a victim undergoes a change in feelings and attitude regarding an offense, lets go of negative emotions, such as vengefulness, forswears recompense from the punishment of the offender, however legally or morally justified it might be, and has an increased ability to wish the offender well. So we looked at the issue of forgiving one another, and I asked the question that who do you need to forgive in this season, in this crazy, messy, wonderful life to make room for wholeness to grow and to flourish, wholeness between you and God and wholeness between you and others. And if you want to hear um, how we unpacked last week uh, this topic of forgiveness, uh, we do have an audio podcast um, available through a few different mediums, but uh, if you have questions about that, you can ask any one of our volunteers. But today, I want to teach from a passage of scripture in a letter to the Hebrews. And uh, it's in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It's going to be on the screen behind us, which you can read. Perfect. Good. So Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, says, Now, and now we're brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. You know, anytime somebody starts talking about blood in church, it gets a little weird. And if you're here and you like have never been to church before, you haven't been to church in a long, long time, I just want to say real quickly that for centuries, in order for people to feel like they were in right standing with God, they had to make a sacrifice. They had to kill something. And it was usually a, a pure, spotless animal. And, and God's master plan involved his, his perfect son uh, having his blood spilled for us. And, and we... We know the story of Jesus, um, the history of how he lived and how he loved and how he served and how he laid down his life willingly through a Roman crucifixion and then how he rose from the dead. So this is talking about Jesus' blood being, being poured out so that once and for all, we wouldn't have to work at or, or have a temporary access to God, but we could have a constant, always ongoing, close and intimate connection with God. So because of the blood of Jesus... He welcomes us to come right into 
the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and with no hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. Again, it talks about this new way that Jesus made available for us to approach God. For just as this veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. You know, when, when this one particular tribe of people in history, the Israelites, they would set up a tent, and eventually they built a giant a building, a tabernacle. But there was this curtained-off area where only certain people could go because that's where the presence of God was. You know, when Jesus um, conquered death and, and, and rose from the grave, that, that veil, that curtain, it, it came crumbling to the ground. And what that means is any human being can have full, unfettered access to God's presence. You don't need another human being to stand in the gap for you except for Jesus. And you can have that each and every day of your life. It goes on to say, since we now have a magnificent king priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and we approach God with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been, again, sprinkled with blood to remove impurity, and we've been freed from an accusing conscience, and now we're clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. Again, this is some heavy stuff here, another reference to blood. Some of you are like, all right, where's the exit? I'm out of here, right? No, we're not going to kill anything. That's not how we roll. You're, you're in the right place. Just relax. All I want to say from those, those first number of verses is that Jesus' sacrifice made a way for you and for me to have absolute, beautiful access to the fullness of God in right relationship. And there's nothing that you can do to wreck that, and there's nothing that you can say that can diminish that, but it's a free gift that Jesus made possible. And as such, we, we are included in the story of God's family as his sons and daughters. So now what? And here's where I want to focus today. So now, we, you and I, we must cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing, because we actually need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. God, as we look at your word today, I want to ask you to just make things really clear for each one of us. By your spirit here in this place and within each one of our lives, that you would bring peace to our hearts, peace to our minds, that we would just feel the ability today to lean in and listen to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've made it clear that God's purpose in sending Jesus was to restore relationship with family. And being a part of family can be wonderful. It can be absolutely fabulous. And it can also be super crazy and really messy. At the same time, um, I understand that families are meant to grow. Families are meant to develop. And in a very natural a blood relation, family kind of way. How do families grow? I heard one snicker. 
well, let's just say parenting, parents, right? I'm not going to get into some sex education here because there's some kids in the room. But um, let's just assume we all know how families grow. Um, but they grow by, by parenting. Is that okay? Parenting helps family grow. I grew up as the youngest of four kids. I have a sister, Stephanie, who's two years older than I am, and a brother, Joel, who's three years older than Stephanie, and another sister, Cynthia, who's two years older than Joel. And, you know, being the youngest child, in the, are there any other youngest kids in the room, out of curiosity? Yes, we, we rule the world. It, it, being the youngest child is simply the best, better than all the rest. Um, thank you, Tina Turner. Um, so, but there was a vast difference growing up between the relationship that I had with my siblings and the relationship I had with my parents. And, and I hope that we can be somewhat in agreement that our relationship with our siblings is very different than the relationship we have with parents. One of the biggest differences was in the area of my personal growth. I, I hesitate saying this because one or more of my siblings actually might listen to this podcast, but if I were to be honest, my siblings weren't really committed to my personal growth. They weren't. Matter of fact, some of them were committed to my, my personal health. It's just how it was. They, they lived to torment me, and um, I'm not going to get into the details of that, but they weren't necessarily committed to, you know, my coaching and my growth in the home. I was just their younger brother. So what are, what are siblings great at? What are, they, what are all siblings really, really good at growing up in the home? Tattling, right? Ratting each other out. Um, I, I, don't, I haven't met a family that hasn't had to help their kids navigate the issue of tattling. Uh, my own kids, you know, they whine and, and tattle on each other way quicker, way before they tenderly love and coach one another, if they ever tenderly love and coach one another. Um, you know, our middle son, Riley, was playing on his iPad, or his iPod, not that long ago. And he wasn't supposed to be. And so our youngest, Caleb, who's seven years old, here's what he did. He, he lovingly put an arm around his older brother's shoulder, and he said, Brother, what you're doing right now isn't good. We've, we've actually already exhausted our screen time for the week, and um, you playing Pixel Gun is a deliberate act of disobedience. Can I kindly ask you to power off your device now? I, I really love you. you know? That's what he said. Nope. <laughs> That's not what he said. What did he do? He ran upstairs. Mom, Dad, Riley's playing on his iPad. He's playing Pixel Gun and he's not supposed to be. Right? Can any other parents relate? Because um, tattling's a thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 talks a little bit about tattling. And we're going to read verses 14 through 16. Again, the writer says, I'm not writing all this as, as a neighborhood scold to make you feel rotten. I'm writing as a father to you, my kids. I love you, and I want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. There's a lot of nagging brothers and sisters who are really willing to, to rat you out or tattle on you or point a finger in your face. But there are not many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. It was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything that I'm not already doing myself. Paul writes here, he says, I love you 
and I want you to grow up in your faith. I don't want you to be spoiled. There, there are enough people waiting around to tattle on you, both people who are in the faith and people who are not. There, there aren't a lot of parents, spiritual parents, who will walk alongside to take the time and effort to help you grow up. Do as I do and say as I say. Imitate me. That's what Paul writes to the people in Corinth. So I want to ask you, as a part of Jesus' kingdom, are you like a little sibling waiting around to tattle and judge other people? Or are you more like a loving parent journeying alongside others and taking the time and effort to help others grow? It's a good question. We become a part of Jesus' ongoing story when we choose, personally choose, to receive that restored relationship with God for ourselves. But we can't stay there. We also have to choose to surrender. To surrender our beautiful bits and our broken bits, our crazy parts and our messy parts. And surrender them as a means of sharing our God relationship with other people. And a lot of people just assume that because they have broken parts and that they have crazy parts and that they, because they have messy parts that somehow they're disqualified from that kind of spiritual maturity where they can speak into and walk with and journey with other people. Jesus' church has been labeled with words like judgy and condemning and critical. And I actually wonder if that's because too many followers of Jesus have never given themselves permission to serve humanity less and less like that annoying tattletale sibling and more and more like that loving, coaching parent. So how do you view yourself as a part of Jesus' story? I want to say one more time that we become a part of Jesus' ongoing story when we choose a restored relationship with God personally for ourselves, but we cannot stay there. We also have to choose to surrender our beautiful bits and our broken bits as a means of sharing our relationship with God with other people. So this, this language of child versus parent in light of, of how we're learning to trust and follow Jesus and how we're learning to navigate the crazy, messy, wonderful pieces of our lives. As we begin to understand ourselves in Jesus' story, we might also use the language, not only child-parent, but I want to say disciple and discipler. To, to be a disciple in the context of our faith, means that we're just a disciplined follower of Jesus. And we think about the disciples, um, the, the unique group of men that Jesus met when he was on planet Earth and that he invited into uh, this story with him that, that helped give life to what we call the, the church in, in our world today. But when we make a decision for ourselves to follow Jesus, we, we actually become a part of that lineage of disciples. We're, we're disciplined followers of Jesus. In the natural order of a family growing, a baby shows up needing to be exclusively fed 
by somebody else. Not one of our three children came out of the womb ready to grab a bottle and feed him or herself. Not one of them. Matter of fact, this is going to be, I've never actually said this in church before, but I'm going to say it. In, in our context, um, breastfeeding was really, really difficult. And uh, you can ask Nicole more questions about that if you want. But, um, but we actually had to like, take a lot of time to like, train our kids how to feed. And, and a lot of little people are that way. So in a natural sense, babies lack the ability to feed themselves. Can we agree on that? The goal, as they grow and mature, is to teach kids to be able to feed themselves. You know, right? And, uh, you know, a collection of mops and buckets and, and wipes to clean up, you know, the mashed peas off the floor. The goal is to teach the kids eventually to be able to feed themselves and, and not just stay there. You know what's beautiful? When a child develops and grows and learns the ability to learn to feed themselves, but when they also develop the courage and the audacity and the heart to feed others. Right? I remember when our daughter Julia, uh, she was so willing to just help feed Riley. And it was beautiful. But that's our hope in the natural sense of family. Our hope is that our kids would begin to have this ability and understanding not only to feed themselves, but to help feed other people. And spiritually, that, that picture actually holds true for us. When we make the decision to receive that relationship and step into this, this beautiful story of Jesus restoring us with God, we, and we, we kind of, as infants, begin this journey of faith, we're, we're hoping that other people are going to feed us. And we read things to feed us, and we find new people who are already serving Jesus to help feed us, and we come to church on Sunday because we want to be fed but at what point do we make the transition to learn how to feed ourselves spiritually? And at what point do we take one more step in and actually work up the ability and the courage and the faith to learn how to feed others spiritually? And that's the difference between being a disciple and being a discipler or a disciple maker. And many of you that grew up in church probably heard about this great commission that Jesus laid out for us and it has to do with going out into all the places, all the corners of this world, and making disciples. And that's the adventure that we're invited into as followers of Jesus. So how do you view yourself in this story? Do you see yourself as an infant in your faith that solely relies on other people to feed you? Because if they don't, you're going to die spiritually. Or do you see yourself in a maturation process where you're maturing and growing and learning the ability Monday through Saturday to feed yourself in a spiritual sense? And then boldly, in faith and with love and with humility, step into other relationships where you're beginning to make disciples. Not just be a disciple, but be a disciple maker. You know, kids can be absolute terrors sometimes. Not, not my kids, but actually I've already told you that my kids are not perfect. Um, it's because their parents aren't perfect. But I wrote a list. You know, why is it that some, some, sometimes our kids can seem to even forget that we claim to be following Jesus as a family? How is that possible? That sometimes our kids just seem like intent on spiritually exasperating us. 
Why is it that sometimes our kids can discover new ways to say mean things to each other? It's like they invent new mean things just to get at their siblings. It blows my mind. How is it possible that sometimes kids can motivate each other towards acts of aggression? Yet they do. How is it possible that they can do something horrible and so unkind as an expression of anger and jealousy? And yet they do. How is it possible that kids can retreat and hide and, and, and close themselves off and disengage from meaningful time with family? How is it possible that when they're together with family, they seem to be eager to be sarcastic, throw in a hurtful dig or two, and spur each other on towards frustration and exasperation? Now, these aren't your kids, clearly, right? But what I found interesting in, in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 10, what we read at the beginning Starting at verse 23, it's, it says, you know, once we understand the family that we're a part of spiritually, now, now we have to cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. We have to discover creative ways to encourage others, to motivate them towards acts of compassion, to do beautiful works as expressions of love. This is not the time to pull away and neglect being together, as some have informed the habit of doing, but because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we participate or anticipate that dawn, day of dawn. So as we begin to view ourselves not just as brothers and sisters and siblings in this family context, but actually allow God's spirit inside of us to give us faith and courage to say, maybe I'm not just a disciple of Jesus. Maybe I'm meant to be something more. Maybe I'm meant to, to begin to walk into what it means to learn how to feed myself and grow and mature in my faith, but also learn the art of helping to feed other people. So rather than seeming to forget that we claim to be Jesus following, we actually cling tightly to the hope of Jesus that lives in us. Hebrews 10, 23. And rather than discovering new ways to say mean things to each other, we discover creative ways to encourage each other. Hebrews 10, 24. Rather than motivating each other towards acts of aggression, we motivate each other towards acts of compassion. And rather than doing something horrible or unkind as an expression of anger or jealousy, we do something beautiful as an expression of love. And rather than retreating and hiding and disengaging from time with family, we don't pull away or neglect gathering with family. And rather than seeming eager to be sarcastic or throw in those digs, we spur each other on towards frustration and exasperation. No, when we're together with family, we're eager to encourage and urge each other onward in light of eternity. If things feel particularly crazy, and particularly messy in your wonderful life. Maybe it's because there aren't many fathers or mothers willing to take the time to help others grow. In your own biological or marital families this Christmas season, but also in the context of your spiritual family and your understanding of, of God's family moving forward, what would it look like if we loved and served each other from a posture of parent rather than sibling. And I want to close with six quick thoughts. Number one, how can we do this? Well, let's start by clinging tightly to the hope of Jesus that lives in you. To continue to grow and mature and understand that you have 
the ability to make disciples requires each one of us to continue to prioritize a life in Jesus, a life rooted and firmly established in him. Study, prayer, worship, an awareness of God's spirit within us, but a choosing to abide and rest and remain in Jesus. Cling tightly to that hope. Number two, discover creative ways to encourage others. Encouragement is, is such a gift. And when, when someone risks looking silly or wants to actually say encouraging words, you know, yesterday I, I got a text message from my mom and dad. And the text message said this, Good morning, son and daughter, Nicole, and wonderful children. We trust that your Saturday will be filled with some fun and relaxation before you're busy tomorrow. We're so excited to see how Evolve is growing and on the move to bring in new believers and to ring in the Christmas season with such joy and fervor. We love you so very much and miss you all, Mom and Dad. I got that from my parents yesterday. You want to know how that made me feel as a son? It made me feel like I could take on the world. My parents lived in Ontario where we grew up. And, and to receive an encouraging word from the heart of a mom or a dad is such a gift. And so maybe, just maybe, in a spiritual sense, as you're learning to mature and grow in your faith, and not just be a disciple, but be a disciple maker, it re- it's going to require you to be able to offer up words of encouragement from the heart of a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad. And you don't have to be 40 or 60 or 80 to do this. Spiritual maturity isn't an age. I actually believe it's, it's a season and it's a choosing. Number three is motivate others towards acts of compassion. You know, acts of compassion actually require action. And in a spiritual sense, not just with your own family this Christmas, but in a greater sense of helping make disciples, we all see need around us. But parents motivate kids to serve and meet the needs of other people. Parents model what it means to create margin and time in our day to push pause on our own and stop and bend down and help somebody else. Motivate and discover new ways to encourage, but then motivate others towards acts of compassion. Number four, do something beautiful as an expression of love. Hebrews 10.25. Some of us have maybe read in the the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's widely known as the love chapter. And there's this beautiful list of what love is. And I've always marveled that the first item in that list is that love is patient. And so I want to encourage you as a a disciple maker and as a spiritual mom or dad in this season, both with your family family and your greater family. Love is patient. Operate in patience this Christmas season. Operate in kindness this Christmas season. Be a little gentler this Christmas season. But deliberately Work out what it means for you to walk in love. Number five, don't pull away or neglect gathering with your family. What are you avoiding right now, like right now this week? What are you avoiding because you're afraid it will be too awkward or too too difficult for you? Again, our middle son, Riley, uh, when he was younger, anytime that there was confrontation in the home, which usually involved us parenting him, Um, And again, the purpose of confrontation is to move a relationship forward, to actually help that relationship grow. 
and we take that time with our kids as parents, it can be such a great thing. But Riley's innate response to confrontation was to withdraw. And we would start to talk to him, and he would make a dash for some dark, quiet, quiet corner in the house, and he would cover himself with his, his favorite blanket, and he would just hide. And so we would go and meet him where he was at in that dark space and, and lovingly take that blanket off his head and get down on our hands and knees and, and communicate, Riley, um, we love you. And I know it's hard to hear these things, but mommy and daddy, we exist to help you learn and help you grow. And as part of this family, to just run away isn't a good tactic. One day you're, you're going to fall in love and maybe get married. And I want to tell you, you're going you're to have confrontation with a spouse at some point in your future. And, and you can't just run away and hide under a blanket when that happens. It's not healthy. And, and again, the instruction, the coaching done in love. Don't pull away or neglect from your family this Christmas season, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if it's awkward. Take that blanket off. Step in. Encourage. Walk in compassion. Show love. And lastly, when, when you are together with family, be eager to encourage and urge each other onward in light of eternity. Hebrews 10.25. And I want to say this. It's important when we're together at family gatherings in this context that we learn the art of circling back. Circle back to what matters most. Circle back to what's most important. We live not in the vacuum of today's events, but in the context of God's story, God's history, past, present, and future. And with a posture of love and a motive to serve, not as a tattling younger sibling, but as an awareness that I can't stay at just being a disciple. I actually need to grow and mature in my faith and, and, and walk into what it means to be a disciple maker, the heart of a parent that loves and coaches and helps other people grow. You can do that. You can do that today. You can do that this season of your life. You can do that this season of Christmas with your family, with your, with your context, with your neighborhood, with your workplace. You can do that. You can learn these six things and begin to practice what it means to mature and step out in helping other people establish faith in Jesus. Because now we must cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. We need to discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion. We need to do beautiful works as expressions of love. This is not the time to pull away and neglect being together, meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing. Because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. In Jesus' name, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder that what you've invited us into isn't a stagnant posture, but it's an ever-growing posture. Bit by bit, we're evolving. We're being transformed into the image of your, your dear son, Jesus. Every day, as we submit ourselves to an ongoing surrender of our life to your lordship over us, to your heart as our spiritual father, every day as we create time and space to not just be discipled, but to help disciple others, God, I just believe that this, this understanding of what you've encouraged us and invited us into as a part of your church, your, your family, 
is going to break something in homes and in, 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 in situations this Christmas season. As we learn the art of encouragement and motivate family to, to serving others, as we learn to express ourselves in beautiful and practical loving ways, as we learn to lift and bring life, would you meet us there in those moments? And through Jesus, would you continue to bring healing and restoration and reconciliation, not only in, in our relationship with you, but on our relationship with others. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. Visit EvolveChurch.com for more information. And if you're ever in the Edmonton area, stop by.